Father, we thank you for your enduring faithfulness to us. We confess our great need of you, and we ask that in your mercy this morning you would encourage us, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would keep me from error, and you'd make our hearts and minds receptive to what you have for us from the scriptures. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. Good morning. Uh, One quick uh, final announcement uh, is that uh, across town this morning, actually I think they finished up already, but a sister church of ours, Grace City Church, that was planted out of here five years ago, today celebrated their fifth birthday uh, this morning, so that's pretty awesome. Um, They meet over in the southwest part of town, and we celebrate the continued faithful work of God amongst his people, making his name known uh, amongst those who need to know Jesus. And so we celebrate that this morning, I don't know if you know anyone who's over there at Grace City, um, but if you do, um, give them a shout out or a message or a hello or a text and just praise God along with us for his faithfulness to and through them. All right, we, um, we have a lot to get through this morning. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, that's where we'll be. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever hoped for something, longed for something, expected something, but when you got that something, it turned out to be less than what you had hoped. Why was that? Was it, like so many infomercials, lots of hype but a failure to deliver? I had a conversation this week with someone who said they had a small pipe leak fitting problem, and so they went to try flex tape, because the commercial, the guy just like slaps it on there. right? There's memes about it. So he tried it, and it failed miserably. And he said it could be user error. I think maybe the product just not as you know, special as it says. Maybe a lot lot of style, very little substance. Or maybe the thing that you had hoped for or expected delivered on its promise, but, but your expectations had become so high and lofty and so kind of skewed that when the answer finally did come, it wasn't actually the, the answer or the delivery that was the problem, but it was actually the receiving. Your expectations had become so out of whack that when the answer finally came that you were actually looking for, you were disappointed. See, here in this passage we're reading, Luke records Jesus doing something pretty miraculous. This is an outside-the-box story, a little. Jesus is displaying divine power over demonic forces. He frees a man who uh, has had for a long time significant demonic oppression, and he shows the entire town of people exactly what he was about. Jesus brings freedom to those in captivity. And for many of them, what Jesus offered, what you would hope that people would long for, they ultimately didn't want. See, this is our concern. You see, Jesus displays his power in our lives to bring the freedom that he promises. And yet, we are often reluctant to receive Jesus' freedom because it often means not just the death or the freedom from the thing that we hate. But it also often means the death or the freedom from some kind of bondage that we enjoy. But the freedom graciously offered by Jesus does truly free us from our bondage to sin and Satan and shows Him, shows us that Jesus indeed is our greatest treasure. So let's read our text for today. It's a little bit longer Section Luke 8, starting in verse 26 through verse 39. You can read along in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. 
as well. Luke 8, starting in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Verse 32, Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man, entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man with whom the demons had, from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Now, a little context on what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples have crossed the Sea of Galilee by boat. In the section we read just before this last week, we read the account of Jesus and the disciples in the boat encountering a pretty significant storm on the Sea of Galilee. It would have been a few hours' sail from where they likely were to where they were going. Most of Jesus' ministry was done on kind of the northwest uh, edge of the Sea of Galilee. So likely up in the, the between the cities of Capernaum and Gennesaret, the, up in that area, they would have left from there and gone south and east across the lake to this country of the Gerasenes. Now, as a country or region, this would have been an area stretching away from the kind of central east-southeast part of the lake and would have stretched away from the water. This whole area would have been known as Gerasene country during the time of Roman rule. And the town closest to the sea was the town of uh, Gergesa, which is the modern-day city of Kersey. You can go look up Kersey right now on Google Maps if you'd like. And this is likely where scholars think Jesus and the disciples land after this eventful evening on the lake. And what's more, this is a non-Jewish country. This is Gentile country. Most of Jesus' ministry was to the Jews. And here he brings his disciples purposefully across the lake in a storm to bring healing to a Gentile on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So that's where we are in terms of context, where we are as Jesus steps off the boat. 
And now this account, this part of the story of Jesus, has kind of two main parts. We see two kind of big things. One, the first thing we see is what Jesus actually does. This is the miraculous display of Jesus' power over the spiritual world and over the demonic. If if last week's section reminded us and showed us Jesus' power over nature, here Jesus is showing his power over the spiritual world. His authority over demons and the freedom from spiritual bondage that Jesus brings. We see Jesus doing this freeing work. That's the first thing we see, what Jesus actually does. The second thing we can see from this text, the second part of this story, this narrative, is the response to what Jesus does. And in fact, response is, as he brings his power and his authority and displays it in the lives of people... We see two different responses. One is overjoyed and humbled and transformed. He is ready to receive what Jesus has for him. But the other response is one that pushes Jesus away. It's reluctant to Jesus. So we have two different, a ready and a reluctant response. So let's dive in and look at what's happening here. First, let's look at what Jesus is actually doing. This is the freedom that Jesus brings. When Jesus steps out of the boat, he is almost immediately confronted by this man from the city who for years had been tormented by demons. There are similar accounts to this uh, story, this uh, uh, encounter in both Matthew and Mark's Gospels. And they highlight that there actually may have been multiple men in this group who were in spiritual bondage, with one being the outspoken one who Jesus does business with, so to speak. And that's what Luke highlights here. And he gives this vivid picture of the effect of this spiritual bondage and oppression that this person, this man experienced. Look at verse 27. This is the the picture of what's really going on, what this man is experiencing. He wore no clothes. He didn't live in a house but he lived among the tombs. This is likely in caves where people entombed and buried their dead. When others tried to restrain him, he would break the restraints and he would be driven out into the wilderness. And we're not just talking about a set of light handcuffs. We're talking shackles, chains on the wrists and on the ankles chained together. And he would break those bonds and flee seemingly naked out into the elements. He was alienated from any family. He was an outcast to society. He was unable to function, likely even harming himself, as we see in other accounts of demonic oppression in the Gospels. He was a danger to himself and to others. And this has happened for a long, long time. That's the picture that Luke gives us. Verse 28, And when when he saw Jesus... He cries out. This is a, almost like a shriek. And then he falls down before him and he says with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Even before Jesus says a word, his authority is clearly on display. First, the demons know who he is. They call him by a supremely royal and holy title, Son of the Most High God. That, that, that title, the Most High God, is one that echoes throughout the scriptures. This is a lofty and supreme title for God, the Most 
high, higher than any other, the most best, the highest, and not in terms of height, but in terms of authority and power. There is no one above Yahweh. And this demonized man sees Jesus and the demons shudder because they are in the presence of the Son of the Most High God. In fact, these demons give a clearer answer to who Jesus is than many of his own people do when they see him. So his authority is on display before he even opens his mouth. Second, look at verse 28. They beg him. They beg him. There's no chest thumping. There's no arrogance. They beg. The moment Jesus steps out of the boat and puts his feet on the sand, they immediately throw up their hands and the white flag of surrender. Immediately. They, and I say they because when Jesus asks the man's name and he presses him and says, what is your name? The demons answer and say, we are legion, which speaks not just to one, but likely many who have come to torment this man. As an aside, in the Roman army, a legion is a, is a grouping of approximately 6,000 soldiers. Now, that's not to say that there were 6,000 demons present but, the, present, but the picture here is that there are many which tells us that this bondage that this man was experiencing was deep and powerful. They have had an extremely powerful hold on this man and in a moment recognize how outmatched they are by the Son of the Most High God who is in their midst. And they beg Jesus, do not torment us. Verse 31, Luke tells us that they actually beg him again not to send them into the abyss. Now, the abyss, in biblical terms, is an eternal, bottomless pit of torment referenced in Revelation chapter 9 that is designed and specifically prepared for the punishment of Satan and his angels, or demons in this case. See, they know their future end. The sun will stand victorious over them and they will be cast into the abyss and they're wondering, is it happening now? Did he come early? Is this, is this, is this happening? And they're not ready. They, they wanted to hold it off a little bit longer and so they asked Jesus' permission. Instead of being cast out, how about we just go into this, this, this herd of pigs over here instead? Now you might find that Interesting. I, I find it an interesting verse, probably not like a theme verse you put on a mug, like a large herd of pigs was feeding on a nearby hillside. Luke 8, right? But it tells us something, that this is, again, Gentile territory. Anything, too, for these demons is better than the abyss. So they're like, well, here's some pigs. Pigs were unclean, according to the Old Testament ceremonial laws. So there, no Jewish farmer would, would keep pigs. And Luke just um, Luke says that it's large. Mark's gospel says there were likely about 2,000 pigs. Luke takes the general term large. But, but you can picture the image, right? Off in the distance, just a little ways away from the crowd, is a large herd of pigs. Now we'll talk about in a moment how the herdsmen and people react to the pigs. But but Jesus gives permission to the demons. They leave him and the pigs hurl themselves into the Sea of Galilee. And the man who had been oppressed and burdened was now free. In an instant, 
free from the oppression that he had been under. Look at verse 35. When the people came out to see what had happened, they found the man. Now remember, they knew him. He was known to be tormented by demons. They found him sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. This is the power of Jesus on display. Instead of being driven away into the wilderness or living among the tombs, he was now sitting at a place of honor at the feet of Jesus. Instead of being naked, and not just physically naked, but the meaning of being naked versus being clothed. He was both physically clothed, which is good. It's cold here, so we're in sweater territory. But you can imagine being exposed to the elements for for extended periods of time. He was now clothed, not just physically, but what it meant to actually be covered, to no longer be ashamed. He was no longer exposed. Instead of being chained and needing restraints, Luke says, they found him in his right mind. See, body and soul, this man had experienced freedom and healing. This is the power of Christ over the kingdom of darkness. He doesn't neglect the reality of the brokenness of our bodies or neglect the reality of the spiritual oppression that affects our minds and our souls. Jesus and Jesus alone speaks freedom to those in bondage. Those in bondage to sin and Satan, his works and the effects of his spiritual forces. If there's a takeaway from this section in the first part of the sermon, it's this. There is nothing, nothing that Jesus cannot overcome. There is nothing that holds authority over him. No power of hell, as we often sing. No power of hell, no scheme of man. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he had already healed many people. Many things. Sickness and disease. Demonic oppression. But this Gentile man was experiencing in real time what the Apostle Paul would later proclaim in Romans 8. When Paul said, I am sure, I am confident that neither life, death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He may not have said it that way as as eloquently as Paul did, but he was experiencing that kind of sure freedom in real time. If Jesus has this kind of authority, this kind of power, then that changes everything. There is no sin too dark. There is no hurt too deep. There are not demons too powerful. If Jesus extends his hand to me, then I can be free and I can be whole. This is what Jesus does. This is the freedom that he brings. And this is the first thing we see. The second thing we see is this. That there are now multiple responses to Jesus. There's a reluctance we see amongst some and a readiness with one. Look at verse 34. When the herdsmen, sorry, I lost my spot. There it is. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the city and in the country. They they fled. Even that choice of the word fled, that's not like they quickly went. Fled is running. It's fear-based. Verse 35, the people then came out to see what had happened. They saw the man and found him, as we talked about, completely transformed. Not at all like the man that they knew. And look at uh, verse 35, at the end of the verse, and they were 
afraid. Now, it's possible that some of the reports of Jesus had gotten all the way to this Gentile territory. But we don't know that. We, we know that word about him was spreading amongst the Jews. But it's also very likely that Gentiles weren't really bound up in the internal politics of Jewish rabbis happening across the, across the sea. So this might be somewhat new to them. But when they saw what they saw, Luke says they were afraid. And those who were there when it all happened tried to explain to everyone else what exactly they had seen. This word translated healed, when they found the man who they knew to be healed, that, that word could also translate as being cured or being saved. This man was completely transformed and it blew the minds of everyone who saw him. Verse 37, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him, asked Jesus to depart from them for they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and returned across the water. But the man who was healed, verse 38, begged Jesus that he might be with him, that he might follow him. But Jesus sent him back to his home so that he could, verse 39, declare how much God has done for you. At the end of our reading tells us that the man did go away back to his town and proclaimed throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I don't know what that looked like, but the picture of proclaimed throughout the whole city sounds like he had a message to tell and anyone who was going to listen, he was going to tell them. This is a tale of two very different responses. One is ready. He's ready to be freed from his bondage. And upon receiving his freedom, his response is gratitude. He's willing to follow Jesus anywhere. But everyone else, for everyone else there, we don't know how many people there were. There were just a lot. And for every one of them, there was reluctance. And the source of that reluctance, Luke says, is fear. So, so why the difference? And what does this give us to consider? I'd like to look at both of these responses. First, the response from the crowd is a response of reluctance. See, they know this man. They know the life he's lived. They know the, the curse that he's had. And so maybe, maybe they've just settled in their own minds, this is just how life is for this guy. There was no real hope for him. And so seeing him healed so blows up their worldview that they don't know what to do with themselves. Can you relate? Do you tend to uh, look at the world with a little bit of, I guess that's just the way it is, some things will never change? Right? These people had just relegated this man to a life of self-destruction. Where do we let the weight of hard realities make us calloused to the possibility of change. That's one possibility. Maybe these folks just didn't have a category for this kind of supernatural transformation. They didn't have the Hebrew prophets. They were Gentiles. They, they likely had some kind of spiritual heritage. Many pagan religions have spiritual stories, but when it really happened in front of their eyes, they were in disbelief. Maybe this is something that resonates with you. 
That while you believe in God's power to transform, you relegate it to stories in the Bible, but not in real life. So you too wouldn't know what to do if someone experienced this kind of freedom in front of your eyes either. Now let me, let me say this. The power of Jesus to bring freedom, this kind of miracle, happens every day. Now, it isn't always as outwardly dramatic. But every time someone confesses their sin, every time someone tastes forgiveness, every time someone pleads with God and is empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome temptation, to be set free from an addiction, every time someone believes in Jesus Christ, truly, that is a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. Every time. Do we have not just theoretical, but a real, honest category for the miracle of freedom from bondage that Jesus brings? I confess, my prayers in this category are often weak. Even this week, um, as I've been wrestling through and working with some challenging situations in my sphere of life, I felt the Holy Spirit tugging at my heart as I'm studying this, almost asking me if I actually believe in the transforming power of Jesus in some of these situations. And I'll tell you what, it is changing my prayers to line up with my theology. If I believe in the power of God, truly believe in the power of God to rescue and restore, then my prayers and my actions should reflect that. And if there, there's perhaps one more reason for the reluctance and fear of the people, if it's not one of those things, then maybe it's the spectacle with the pigs. See, we don't know if the owner of the pigs is present, but you can imagine he probably wasn't too happy about the loss of the herd. This was a legitimate economic impact. It's It's reality. A large herd would have likely been a huge economic boost to this town, not just one guy's pocketbook. It may have been vital to their local economy. And as an aside, Jesus didn't destroy that herd. The demons requested and Jesus permitted them into the pigs rather than having them you know, roam free or, or go oppress other people. But it still resulted in the death of the herd. And so people may not have understood that. And while I want to be careful not to press this too much, there's something here to ask. Which is more important? The man or the herd? Because Jesus comes into this Gentile community and shows his power over demons. Jesus comes in and brings real freedom to someone in bondage, showing himself to be a great deliverer. And in the process of delivering someone from bondage to freedom, the pigs are lost. The prosperity of some in the region is lost. To quote Pastor John Piper on this section of Scripture, he says, Jesus forces a choice. Prosperity over love. Money over Jesus. Human resources over divine power. That is the power and grace of Jesus to give life and hope or the love of possessions and wealth to be had from these pigs. And they choose to ask Jesus to leave. 
earlier in Luke when Jesus healed many, they begged him to stay. I don't know if you remember that section. He'd been with them for a while and healed many and was teaching. And the next day he gets up to leave with his disciples and they beg him, would you stay? Can't you see that we need you? You've so transformed our lives. Just stay. Jesus says, I have other towns, other places, other people that need to hear what I have for them. And here is the exact opposite. He comes and displays his power to heal. And they say, just go. Just, just go. And they choose pigs over people. Now, I'm, I'm going to guess that no one here in the room is at risk of losing a large herd of pigs. But I'm sure that we have, and if not yet, we will be confronted with a choice to receive what Jesus has for us and experience true freedom, fullness of life that may come at the cost of laying down our preferences or laying down my rights or putting aside the grip I have on my stuff. And in essence, choose to have Jesus stay or just to leave. See, we're often reluctant, I think, because while we desire freedom from the bondage that plagues us, we are also comfortable in some of the bondage we enjoy. Because some costs seem too high, and so we are afraid. We're afraid of losing something we cherish, and that's the uncomfortable part. See, many of us still cherish some of our chains. They're comfortable to us. The burden hasn't been great enough to crush us. The bad hasn't yet been bad enough. See, only one person in that crowd was really seeing clearly. Only one knew the depths of despair. Only one was ready for freedom. The rest were reluctant because they wanted to hang on to their lives just a little bit longer. So as we read this, is the Holy Spirit revealing some reluctance in you? Jesus is offering freedom and you're telling him, not yet. That's the kind of reluctance we're seeing in this crowd and, and maybe a little in ourselves. That's, that's the one response. There's another response. There's a readiness from this man to receive what Jesus has. See, readiness often comes when you're at the end of yourself. When you have nothing else, you have no more ideas, you have no more ammunition. I surrender. I give up. See, this man had no one. He was an outcast. He was tormented. He was full of grief. I'm willing to bet he would do anything to stop the torture that he was experiencing. He was truly at the end of himself. No longer afraid of losing lesser things. He literally had nothing to lose. And when he experienced the taste of freedom from his bondage, it was all he could do not to just jump in the boat and just go with, be with Jesus forever. Maybe you felt this kind of feeling. Think of it like this, and this is a, maybe a dumb example, but I think it works. Have you ever had to wear a cast for any length of time? An arm, an ankle, right? I broke my arm this, this last summer, my wrist, because I'm old and frail apparently. And I had a wrist, a brace, or a, a cast on my arm for not very long. But, but can you, do you remember the feeling if you've, if you've had a cast? could be for a week or two weeks or a month and they take it off 
And there's that euphoric, like, ah, oh, hallelujah. Right? And that's like a super minor thing. Can you imagine? This is like a thousand times more than that. This man's soul was locked down in bondage and it was finally cut free. Finally loosed. His eyes were really seeing. His lungs were breathing deep. His mind that was filled with destructive voices is now quiet. His heart, which was cold and dark, is now warm and is beating life. Of course this man will be ready to be done with his bondage. One of the takeaways here is a hopeful truth. That there is no bondage too strong. There is no sin too big, no burden too heavy, no wound too deep where Jesus can't bring freedom and forgiveness in power. If you are someone who feels you are too far gone, that you've done too much, that there is no way that your sin could be dealt with, that your bondage could be overcome, hear me, do not believe that lie. Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God, has the power to free you and forgive you and heal you today. And maybe that's your story. Maybe it was the first time you heard, or the 50th time you heard this good news, but but there could be freedom for you in Jesus, an overcoming of your reluctance or your fear, and you said, yes, yes, I want to be free. And that miracle happened in your heart came alive for the first time. If you have faith in Jesus, you're a recipient of that miracle. And this man, ready to receive Jesus, had found what for him was the greatest possible treasure. He was willing to give everything he had for that. Everything to be with Jesus. Because there is no treasure greater than Jesus. So whether you feel like you are beyond the reach of Jesus, or maybe you're often reluctant to receive because what it costs is too much and you're not ready to give that up, can I encourage you? It is only here in Christ Jesus. There is full freedom and hope. And not just to save us once and then have us go on about our lives, but Jesus brings his power to bear in waves of freedom, freedom from bondage, freedom from sin, protection against the attacks of our enemy. He is patiently beckoning us in his good sovereignty to lay aside our fears, to put aside our lesser loves, to loose our grip on our own stuff and receive him as our greatest treasure. This promise from Romans chapter 6 is true. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, with Christ, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. There is no longer fear in losing. No fear in death. Because we are united to Christ in His death and raised to new and everlasting life with Him. This is not just a gospel that saves us once and then lets us go on about our lives. This gospel saves us and works in us power every day. 
every day as we now walk in this new life. See, we are sometimes reluctant to receive Jesus' freedom because it means not just the death of the bondage we hate, but the death of the bondage we enjoy. But the freedom graciously offered by Jesus does truly free us from our bondage to sin and is to be our great treasure and delight. May God be merciful to remove from us our love of the things of this world and of our fear that causes us to refuse the freedom he offers us. May God be merciful to help us see with spiritual eyes, not just physical ones. May God be merciful to help us consider all of our temporary trials through the lens of eternity. May he work in us by his spirit to cause us to fall down before him, to surrender and give up, ready to receive the freedom he offers. And out of gratitude with Christ as our great treasure, that we would tell boldly and broadly of all that he has done for us. Would you pray with me? Our good and gracious Father, we pray you'd work in us by the Holy Spirit all these things. For your mercy, draw us to yourself. Free us from our chains, our bondage to sin and Satan. Give us eyes to see and cherish what is truly a treasure. We ask this for our freedom and for your fame. In the name of Jesus, the Son of the Most High God, we pray. Amen.